Hello again, and welcome to the Messages podcast of Newbury Park First Christian Church. We're glad you're listening because we believe that constant contact with the Word of God, obviously handled with the right heart, can really change your life and can help you adopt the kingdom of God into every part of your daily rhythm. Today's podcast is from a series called Resolve, based on the book of Daniel. Just as Daniel found himself in the middle of a culture that was quickly flowing away from God's design, we can learn from his example how to resolve to follow the Lord no matter what and thrive as a result. So be blessed today as you receive this word. One thing I know is for certain is that every mom... Every mom, no matter where they're at, they want their children to succeed. They want their children to be strong, people of character. And every Christian mom that I know wants their children to have a strong, solid faith. Amen, moms? Faith, though, especially in our world today, is not always easy to figure out, and it's not always easy to live out, Uh, even on a good day. Faith takes trust, discipline, effort, conviction, and, and, well, it just takes faith. Learning how to navigate life in this worldly kingdom takes strong conviction. And my hope is that we will not only learn how to survive, but how to thrive and be people who don't, do not conform to our culture, um, but we can be used by God to influence our culture and bring others to faith. I heard one pastor say, uh, Christians' um, faith are like tea bags. Um, you only get the real flavor when they're put in hot water, right? And, and so it's only when we encounter difficulty sometimes that our faith really shows out. So for the next several weeks, we're going to dive into the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, if you are new to the Bible, you just open your Bible up to the very center, right? I'm, people don't do that as much anymore, huh? It's all about scrolling and poking and whatever, which should make it easier to find, Daniel. But if you have, a, if you have an you know, old-school, literal-like paper book, you open to the middle, and then uh, you, that usually lands you in Psalms, and you go six books to the right. Right after Ezekiel, you'll find Daniel, okay? Um, but but it's, a, it's an amazing book. Um, the book of Daniel is one of those books that even people who aren't followers of Jesus, even people who aren't Christians, they kind of have some ideas about what's in the book of Daniel, right? Like, um, like there's a story of Daniel in the, see, yeah, lion's den, right? Or there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that get thrown into the, see, you guys know, right? I mean, some of you went to Sunday school, some of you just have heard these stories. There's also, towards the end of the book, there's this amazing section of of prophetic material, um, apocalyptic literature, which we'll dive into several weeks later, um, that tell Daniel all about his future and even things about our future, and we're going to dive into some of those things because I know everybody today is really curious about what the future holds, right? And when is Jesus coming back, right? I'll, I'll tell you this. Daniel talks about more about when Jesus comes the first time than when he comes the second time, but he does give us some great clues, and we'll dive into that later. I think the book of Daniel is incredibly uh, timely for our day. I I actually believe we kind of live in a Daniel moment uh, when we have a world that is trying to to really influence us, not to live out our faith, but to, to live, that we live in a culture that's trying to squeeze, conform, and shape you into its mold. 
It's a story that reminds us that life can change in a moment, that everything you thought was going good could instantly change, and that you're faced with having to make all kinds of decisions. But it also tells us that in every moment where hope seems lost, when it seems like there's nothing else you can do, that God is always there, and God is always able to show up and make what seems to be impossible happen. And so I'm excited about what we'll discover together. Today we're going to take a really quick look, um, an introduction through the book, and work our way through chapter one. I'm going to try to get you out because I know lots of you have lunch plans. So um, we're we're going to make sure you get lots of time with mom. But first, let's just dive into the situation, right? Uh, The situation, the background of the book of Daniel. So if you take a look in your Bibles in Daniel uh, chapter one, we're just going to start right there in verse one. And so the year is 605 B.C., okay, 605 years before Jesus. And here's what happened. Daniel 1.1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. You know, in the book of 2 Chronicles, it tells us about what happened here in in chapter 36, verses 5 to 7. It tells us this, that this guy Jehoiakim, who's the first guy we meet in the book of Daniel, right, is in the third year of Jehoiakim. It says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king. I mean, think about that. How many of you would agree that a lot of our, like, especially you look at professional athletes, movie stars and places, where, where they get way too, way too much too fast, Right? Could you imagine 25 years old, this guy becomes king, right? But then it tells us when he became king, he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. We're already three years into his reign. He's 28 years old, and it says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, his God. Then it goes on, says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took the Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord, and he put them in his temple there. So our first character here in the book of um, Daniel, Jehoiakim, he becomes king at 25. He's 28 years old, and just three years into his reign. You know, so this guy gets like beat up, right? And he gets taken captive. What's amazing is the prophets foretold this. Multiple places in the Old Testament, these guys get warned that this is going to happen, right? I mean... Our next character is Nebuchadnezzar. This guy is a ruthless ruler. Uh, He's the king of Babylon, which Babylon would be, just think today, um, Iraq. The actual city of Babylon was today, would have been Baghdad. And and so just so you kind of get an idea of where that is. And what was happening is uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, had just beat up on the Egyptians. This was a moment where world power pivoted. If you're a, a, a person that likes history, um, you can go and look up the Battle of Charchemish, where, um, where all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar, who's this Persian king, he owns this vast uh, kingdom in the Persian area, and, and he comes down and he defeats the Egyptians. And he pushes them back into Egypt, and on his way home, he's coming back up through the area of Syria, right, where Israel is, where Jerusalem is, and he decides, hey, he's large and in charge, and he's going to take people captive. These people are ruthless people. Their favorite way of torturing people was to literally skin them alive, right? I mean, these people knew how, how to inflict pain on people. And Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless. So he comes in in 605, 
and he takes some of these captives away from Jerusalem, and then he comes back later in 570 or 97 BC, he comes back, and then he beats up on Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, and then he comes back again 10 years later in 586 BC, and he completely destroys Jerusalem, just levels it to the ground, destroys the temple. There's a lot about that that we'll talk about later um, as we go through the book. But the prophet Habakkuk, how many of you thought you were going to read from Habakkuk today, right? It's like one of those little books we hardly ever read from. The prophet Habakkuk, he tells that this is going to happen. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, it says this. Listen to this. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. He says, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to siege dwelling places not their own. They are feared, a dreaded people, and they are a law unto themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong and their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, sweep, uh, swooping to devour. Okay, so this is these, these uh, Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. So in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, we go on and it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, and he carried these off to his temples of the gods in Babylonia, and he put um, in the treasure house of his God. So here's what's amazing about this, is Nebuchadnezzar, it's not just about him being powerful. It's about God's plan. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but it said the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. That, that God actually took the king over his nation, Israel, Judah, the, you know, in Jerusalem, and he delivered, he hands him over to Nebuchadnezzar, one of the fear, fiercest, um, crazy kings, pagan kings in the world. But why? I mean, think about that. Why, why would God do that, Right? Well, we're going to skip down and look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 because God had warned these people this was going to happen like a thousand years earlier. And here's what God says. God says, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now why? Right? Now this is way back in Deuteronomy as the people of Israel were about to enter into the promised land. God says, look, God's, God set out some things. He said, here's the deal. I'm God. I've given you commandments. Follow these. If you do, you'll be blessed. He goes, and if you, if you follow my commands, if you give me your heart and you worship me only, I will take care of you. And God did that. 
God did that through, through a bunch of the kings. At the time of King David, they, they had one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time, and these guys were really well taken care of. God took care of his people as long as they worshiped him. But slowly, because they disobeyed, slowly, because they allowed culture to direct them, because they slowly started to conform to the patterns of the world, God said, hey, I'm going to not only withhold my hand of blessing, I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. If you want to worship other gods, you go right ahead, and let's see what they can do for you. And that's the, that's the message that God is sending. Because they did not serve, it says, because they did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly. Okay, because they had forgot the God that had done everything for them, conformed to the ways of the culture around them, served their other gods. Folks, here's, the, here's, here's a takeaway, okay? How many of us are serving joyfully? I mean, are, are, are you serving? The, here's, here's a big question for all of us to, to wrestle with today. Where are you serving the Lord? And are you doing it joyfully? There, there's a lot of places that, that, that you could be serving the Lord, but the, and the question is like, where are you serving the Lord? And if so, are you doing this joyfully? Because God says, hey, because you did not serve me joyfully, right, in, in the time of prosperity, he goes, then I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to let you, I'm going to hand you over, right? I'm, I'm gonna, you, you get what's coming to you. Some of us aren't serving. You know, some of us are just taking up space. If that's you, hey, get, get your act together and start serving. Find a place. If you don't know where, you come talk to one of us. We will find you a place to serve, right? You know why? We don't want this kind of stuff to happen to you or to any of us. We, we want you to be serving because this is a great way to demonstrate to God that you love him, you honor him, and you want to be obedient to him. And so we, we want people who are going to joyfully serve. So, it, the, so let's get back to, to Daniel 1. In verse 3 it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace, and he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's own table. They, they, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, uh, uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So, the, so the, you've got these young, good-looking guys who are in great shape, smart. These guys are intelligent, best of the best. And I don't know if you caught this, they're part of the royal family in Jerusalem. The, these guys are used to being pretty well taken care of. And next thing you know, they're in shackles being taken away to a foreign land. And, and so what happens here is this was a common practice in this day. You took the royalty from the, family, from the country you just beat up and you take them in and you enculturate them into your society. Uh, and, and they didn't just try to enculturate them. He says, okay, you got to teach them the language, the literature and all that stuff. He says, hey, you need to turn them into Babylonians. And so what's the first thing he does? He changes their names. I don't know if you caught that. 
His, his goal is to change their identity. And folks, I, I just want you to think about this for a minute. Where is the world trying to shape or change your identity? From being a follower of Jesus to somebody who's a follower of the world. This guy Ashmanaz, he's, he's Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff. He starts to enculturate them. He gives them these new names. Daniel, his, his name, his, his Hebrew name, Daniel, means God is my judge. They give him the name Belshazzar, which means Bel, or which is one of the Babylonian gods, okay? That Bel is my protector. Mishael, right, or Hananiah, right, who becomes Shadrach, Hananiah means the beloved of God. Shadrach means one who belongs to Aku, which was the moon god of Babylon. Mishael, his name in Hebrew meant who is like my God. Meshach, his new name, means no one is like Aku, again the moon god. Azariah meant the Lord is my help. His name gets changed to Abednego, servant of Nebu, another one of the Babylonian gods. When you think about it, what were they trying to do, right? They're trying to change their identity, and here's the thing. Every single day of their life, as people called out their names, they were calling out the names of these foreign gods. So they, it, it, was, it was just a, a trick to try to say, hey, we're just trying to change who you are. They wanted them to be reminded every day when someone said their name that they were under some other god's authority, they wanted them to hear the name of that foreign God every single day over and over and over again. And isn't this like what happens to us today in our culture? I mean, think about it. Every day, our minds are bombarded with images and information that attempt to grab our attention and conform us into living the way that the world wants to tell us how to live. I was checking this out um, a, a couple days ago. I just started scrolling through social media. Yeah, I started out on Facebook, and I'm just starting, I'm just scrolling through. You know what? I could never get past three people's posts, three of my friends' posts, without another ad popping up. Most of the time, it was two or less, and there's just an ad. Ads are popping up, ads are popping up, ads are popping up, and they're telling us all kinds of stuff. And I know that most of you think, oh, I just scroll right past those. But the reality is, is you see enough of those and they start tweaking the way you think. And people know that. And, and, and so the world is continuing to try to get us to conform into this world. The world's goal is to get you and me to conform into its image and to find our identity in the things of this world, the gods of this world, not the God that we serve. In Romans 12, we, we use this verse a lot around here. Hey, it tells us don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to protect ourselves, protect the minds and all those things that are going into it. Folks, there are subtle messages in front of us every day telling us that we should serve a different God. Gods of, of money, gods of sex, gods of pleasure, gods of power, all these things that are constantly trying to grab our attention. And if we're not careful, we will start to believe it we will begin to believe that we belong here, that we belong in this world when the reality is, is this world is not our home, amen? 
without an understanding of who we are, the kingdom that we belong to, and the mission that God calls us to, we are easy pickings for a world that wants to conform us into its image and wants us to buy into its culture. But let's look at how Daniel responds to all of this. And I I love this. This is what I love about the book of Daniel. Let's take a look at Daniel's resolve. In verse 8, it says this, but Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. Resolved. Okay, this is a big word throughout the book of Daniel, and we're going to dive into this a lot as we go through. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. So this is the key verse to chapter one and really foundational for the whole book. The choice that Daniel makes right here, right now, will impact what happens throughout the rest of the book. I mean, the word resolve here in the Hebrew means to firmly be determined, to fix one's mind, to fix your course. Folks, Daniel was a man of resolve. He was determined not to let the world squeeze him into its mold, to to make up his mind that he would rather die than sell out to culture. And people, our culture, it's, it's trying to tell us to sell out too. Our culture tells us, hey, just feed all of your selfish desires. If it feels good, do it. Our culture says, if it'll get you money, possessions, or power, then just go for it. It'll tell us, hey, if it's difficult, yeah, just avoid that. Don't, don't do anything that's too hard for you, you know. Our culture says, if you can get away with it, well, then really, it's probably not wrong. I mean, these are the kinds of things that our culture feeds us all the time. But God's people, God's law tells us that we're supposed to live differently, that we aren't supposed to satisfy our sinful desires, that, and that at all costs, we're supposed to live in a way that honors God's, our God. So, so let me ask you a couple questions here. In what areas is the world trying to take you captive? I mean, think about that. I mean, think, make it personal. Like, like where, where do you feel the squeeze? Where, where do you feel like the world is trying to pull you in and, and, and get you to worship the gods of this world, and, and where is it that you feel like the, the world is trying to conform you into its image? I mean, if, if you can't think of some areas, I, I would encourage you to take some time and pray about that and just say, God, where, where is the place that, man, I, I'm just fighting? Where's the place that the world is trying to capture you? Maybe it's, you know, we just did our, our, our series on God and sexuality. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with that area of life. Maybe it's financially. You know, I mean, financially, I mean, finances are tempting, aren't they? I mean, it's very tempting to make little moves here and there financially because we just think, oh, I just need more, right? I mean, well, I, just, I just need more because we think that somehow finances is going to build us security. And, and we will give up the security sometimes that God wants to hold out to us in order to build our own security, and folks, that never works, and it certainly doesn't work for eternity. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's power, position. Maybe you're just constantly trying to get that next promotion, that next thing, that next thing. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's, maybe it's just stuff. You constantly have to have the latest, greatest new thing, right? You got to get the newest car, the newest phone, the newest this, the newest that. You have to, like, feed those desires, 
Maybe that's where the world is trying to squeeze you in. Maybe it's just all kinds of pleasure, man. I, I just got to go do this. I got to go do this. I got to go do this. Like, I, I should just, like, whatever desires I have, I should just feed those things. And the question that I want to ask you to think about as we go through this book is this. Will you today resolve like Daniel not to conform to the pattern of the world? But will you resolve today to stand for Jesus? You see, Daniel could have made all kinds of excuses here. He, he could have said, well, hey, look, God got me into this spot. You know, he brought me here. I, 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 you know, I can just go with the flow. Hey, I'm already, I'm already in bondage, and they're offering me this good food to eat. He could have just made all kinds of excuses for that. I'm a hostage, so what does it matter anyways? He could have said, hey, everyone else is doing it, and I don't want to draw any unneeded attention to myself because I don't need any more problems. I mean, folks, cultural relativism is just alive and well in our, in our world today, and it never leads anywhere but, but problems. The problem with most of the king's food wasn't just that it might have been unclean. Most of the food that they would have given these um, hostages, right, these exiles, was food that had been offered up as, um, uh, to their gods. It would have been sacrificed to their gods. And so, and, and the Bible is pretty clear, the Old Testament is pretty clear, do not eat meat sacrificed to idols. And so this is where Daniel decides to make his stand, while Daniel resolved not to defile himself, however, he also, this passage says, he also asks for permission to not defile himself. I don't know if you caught that. See, see that, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, Daniel not only resolved himself not to defile himself, but he also asked for permission not to. Daniel had a choice to make. He could have revolted or he could have conformed. Right? I mean, there's a lot of you today that, man, I, I know, I know you, 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 like, you watch the news and you just want to revolt. You want to just push back, push back, push back, right? I, that's where a lot of us live. We just want to constantly push back. We want, the other, other people want to just conform. But as followers of Jesus, I, I hope we understand that there's a third option. You don't just revolt or conform. There's this third option right down the middle, which is respectful resolve. And that's what Daniel has. He respects the people around him, even his enemies, and he resolves to serve the Lord. He knows it may cost him, but he still respects others and resolves to do what God says is right. I mean, folks, I don't care how big of a jerk your boss might be. If you're a follower of Jesus... It doesn't give you any license to disrespect them. I, 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 don't, I don't care what you see on the news. We have, we have no reason to be disrespectful to others. I know even people, okay, in the political party that we hate. God calls us to pray for them, to be respectful, but to resolve to follow him. You know, if you want people around you to come to Jesus Christ, you have to treat people with love and respect. I, I heard this quote this week that I thought was really good. You need to be winsome if you want to win some. Right? In other words, winsome, you need to live an attractive life if you want to win some people to the Lord. 
So let's take a look at where Daniel goes from here. Verse 9. He says, now God had caused the official, okay, to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. So where did this favor come from? Yeah, it came from God. And he says, but the official told Daniel, right, I am afraid of my Lord the king. Did you catch this? Like, this official's opening up to Daniel, says, like, okay, like, God should, God's given him favor, but he says, hey, look, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this king. This guy fillets people alive, right? I'm, I'm afraid of this guy, and he says, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hannah, uh, sorry, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, now listen, listen to his language. Please, pretty respectful still, right? Please, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. He's being respectful, but he's honoring God, and he's saying, hey, I believe that God's gonna come through for us. So he, the, the official, agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Folks, if you treat people with respect, if you will resolve to live right and not defile yourself by the world, God might just show up and show amazing favor to you and the things you're doing in life. You don't have to fix all the problems yourself. The question is, will you depend on God and resolve to let him do the fighting for you? I love 2 Chronicles 16.9. I love this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. I, I mean, I could just imagine, God is like looking around, right? It says, God's eyes are ranging through the earth. So God's like looking around. He's like, uh, is anybody over here going to like, you know, stand up for me? Hey, is anybody else over here? Is their heart completely mine? How about over on this side? Anybody's heart completely, completely mine? And it says he's there to strengthen and support the people whose hearts are completely devoted to him. When you will say no to the world and resolve to do what God says, it says that God is just like waiting for that moment. God is looking for you to say, I'm going to stand up for, I'm going to stand up for him. I'm going to do what's right. And when you do, man, you get all the power of God on your side. Or you can fix it yourself. This Ashranaz guy was willing to stick his neck out for these guys. Why? Number one, God caused him to show favor. So God, God was in their corner. But then also because they were respectful, right? They didn't revolt. Could you imagine? What if Daniel just would have said, nah, forget you, man. I'm not doing that. Don't you know I'm, you know, I'm Jewish and I can't eat that stuff? Well, how would that have turned out? That's, that's how a lot of Christians sound today to the world, right? We just, nah, nah, nah. I mean, we're, don't be obnoxious. Be respectful, love people. Demonstrate the love of God to them. And then what's amazing, so they do this vegetarian thing for 10 days, and they end up being healthier than all the others. One reference that I, I looked at said that Nebuchadnezzar took 10,000 people into exile during this period. 10,000, and only four had the resolve to not conform. 
Folks, let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus, there will be moments when you will stand in the minority. And you just need to accept that fact. Right? Going with the crowd rarely, if ever, and especially in the Bible, pretty much never works out. And by the way, we did this Daniel Fast thing. We've done this several times in our family. And I got to tell you, man, after 10 days, you actually do feel better. But I'm not going to go there today. So, <laughs> so what are the results? So last part of the message here. What are the results? What are the results of Daniel's willingness to not compromise? Right? Look in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine um, they, they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Okay, so I, I was looking at this and I was thinking, oh man, this is kind of interesting. So it says, okay, Daniel and the other guys, they start looking better. They look better than the other guys that were eating the royal food. So the guard took away the food. So it's a, in other words, like, all the other people, they were just like, yeah, king's food, right? I'm just gorging myself on whatever I want to eat. I'm just like, you know, I'm just macking down on all of this great king food. And then Daniel and these other guys, they look better. And so what does Azariah do? He says, he goes, okay, we're taking all of that stuff away from all of you. So there will come times when, because you stand, other people are going to get ticked at you. Could you imagine that? Now all these other guys who are like, you know, they're hitting the king's wine and the king's food, and now it gets taken away from them, and they're all doing, they're all doing the vegan plan, right? And people are just like, what? Like, what just happened, right? Well, the reality is, is this. God's plan, when God's in it, it works. And that's what's happening here. So at the end of the 10 days, they look better. They take the food away, and verse 17 says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding. Now, check this out. Of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Are, are, you, are you catching this? This is pretty amazing. Like God is like these guys are so head and shoulders above the rest. It says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and encounters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. There's a lot packed in here, but folks, here's the deal. If you resolve not to defile yourself, not only will people show you favor, God's favor will be on you. All the other guys, all, all the rest of those people that got taken captive, it says, you know what, they, they learned the Babylonian language. They, they learned Babylonian customs. They became Babylonian. But did you catch this? It says that God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning to Daniel and these other friends. God didn't just say, okay, look, I'm going to give you just enough to get by here. You're going to just learn a little bit so you can pull one over on the king. He says, no, because you showed 
you honored and respected God because you showed your obedience to God. It says he gave them knowledge and wisdom and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. Man, when, when you close the door to compromise, you open the door for God to develop you in ways that you can hardly believe. I mean, look at what happened to these guys. In, in three years, okay, this is basically like a kind of a quick college education of sorts. These guys learned all kinds of literature and learning. All kinds. God gave them wisdom. So here's the deal. You can work really hard. And, and so here's another area. You can all work really, really hard at your own learning, education. You can keep getting better at what you're doing, all that kind of stuff, which is great. Again, don't, want, don't have anything against education. Did lots of it myself. Okay, I enjoy it. But here's the thing. If that's the only thing you depend on to get you where you're supposed to go in life, if you just think, oh, I just need, I just need to keep bettering myself. I just need to keep bettering myself. I just need to you know, read the latest self-help books and take the latest classes and keep doing this and that, and you leave God out of the mix, you get what you can do by your own strength. But if you will worship, honor, obey God, he will pile on the wisdom if you ask him. And you'll be 10 times better off for it. An earthly education is great stuff, but there is nothing that can compare to a mind that is fixed on the things of God. And so I want to encourage you, resolve to do that. Resolve to trust God. Because folks like Daniel, we are foreigners here on earth. This kingdom that we're living in, as great as it may be, as wonderful, we talk all that, man, we live in here at the end of the rainbow in Newberry Park, as wonderful as this may be, this is nothing compared to what God has in store for you. God has so much that he wants to pour out in our lives, but so often we're just like running the hamster wheel, man. I mean, how many of you know that's true? How many of you feel that, man? We are just running on that hamster wheel of life, just kind of going by our own power over and over and over again. And you feel like, man, I'm doing all this. I'm, I'm not getting anywhere. Or, hey, you know, man, will you submit yourself to God? Will you resolve to trust him in every area of your life, in your education, in your family, in your business, like we said the last couple of weeks, in, in your sexuality, in your finances, in the positions God puts you in, in all those things, will you resolve to honor God in every area of life? Because when you do, man, he will pour out the floodgates of heaven. But we have to make these decisions every day. There's a great quote that I read this week I want to kind of leave you with before I close. It says this, uh, by a, a great pastor, W.A. Cresswell, that said this, all of life is filled with crisis and decisions. We are, there are right decisions and wrong decisions, high roads and low roads, and almost every day there will be a fork in the road. Where you are today is due to the turn that you made yesterday. And where you will be tomorrow, folks, will be determined by the choice you make today. Daniel's living like an exile in a different kingdom, and folks, so are we, because this world is not our home. We serve a king, and there is a kingdom waiting for those who trust in Jesus and have made him Lord of their lives. 
Because eventually every kingdom of this world will be wiped clean. And only God's kingdom will last. The question is, will you be left standing firmly on the foundation of God's kingdom? I want to close with a story about a Rwandan pastor back in 1980. Some of you know some of the history where Rwanda was just being decimated by civil war and fighting. And there was a pastor uh, that, um, that was uh, being forced to renounce his faith. And um, he, he was locked up in this cell, and, um, and he, they basically told him, hey, you, you either need to conform, renounce your faith, or die. And um, he refused. He just says, you know what, I, I have to stand for my God, I have to stand for my faith. And no matter what happens, no matter what the consequences, and he did that at the cost of his life. But when they went into the jail cell uh, the next morning after he had been executed for his faith, they found this letter. And I want to read you this because, folks, this is what resolve looks like. Th this, this is what standing up for your faith looks like. Uh, this is the kind of faith that Daniel exhibited in I hope we can exhibit it as well. He said this, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast, I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence. I lean by faith. I love by patience. I lift by prayer. I labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow and my way is rough. My companions are few. My guide, though, is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because I belong to him. Amen? Jesus gave it all on the cross for you and me. The question is, is will you resolve to give your life to him and to follow him completely? You know, we're reminded every week as we take communion what God has done for us. And so if you have your communion, let's uh, take this together. Because this is a reminder of the cost of being completely devoted to the kingdom of God and to his will and to God's agenda. Jesus gave his life so that you could be part of that kingdom too. The question is, is will you resolve to live for him?
So let's take the bread that represents his broken body and the cup that represents his shed blood. And if you're here today and you want to know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus, man, we're here and we'd love to talk to you. I'm going to ask our elders, any leaders or staff to just come down to the front and if you want to pray with someone. If you're a mom here today and you just want special prayer, man, we'd love to pray with you. Now you can come here or head to the back or catch us after service. We love you. We want your life to thrive, even in a world that sometimes doesn't make sense and tries to conform us to all kinds of things. But the choice is ours. Will we resolve to follow Jesus? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the love of Jesus. Thank you for his blood that was spilled at Calvary. Thank you for his life that was given. God, may we resolve to honor you with our lives and give you our lives as a gift of thanksgiving. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the NPFCC Messages podcast. If you'd like to support the work of our church, head to npfcc.org give to make a one-time or reoccurring gift. For more information about us, you can always check out our website at npfcc.org. Again, that's npfcc.org.